It is the 200 level episode 227, Arkansassi. Got a little bit tense at the State Farm Center last night. This is Saturday morning as I'm in the basement studio recording a podcast and feeling as good about Illini basketball as I have in a long time. And that's saying something because I felt pretty damn good about it last year, and especially that month stretch that we had from late January, um, let's say six-week stretch from the Iowa game at home all the way through the Big Ten tournament. That was one of the best stretches of Illini basketball I've seen. You get the one seed, and of course it ends in a way that we would all like to forget. The reason why I feel as good as I do about Illini basketball right now is partially due to how painful last March and April were, and the fact that last April, so we're talking a mere six months ago, I thought it was over. And when I say over, I thought the idea of Illinois being a top 10 program again or consistently competing for Big Ten titles, that that was over. That instead, we were probably relegated to more of a Purdue kind of existence where you would have the occasional really good teams, but for the most part, top half of the Big Ten, good but not great. Would I take that? Absolutely. And that's what I lived through the last five, six years of the Lou Henson era, That was what I grew up on, and I still had fun watching it, and I still would have had fun watching it. But there would have been this persistent sense of, ah, man, we blew it. Ah, we had this opportunity to become great again, and we just didn't take it. And instead, we're sitting here in early November, I guess mid-November at this point, and looking at a team that is every bit as good, if not even better, than last year's team. And we'll get to that discussion in a bit. But the reason why I feel as high as I do this morning is because it feels like after all the tumultuous offseason of losing your top two assistants, losing your best player, of potentially losing your second best player to Kentucky, but he ends up coming back, Trent and DeMonte coming back, and then all these other pieces and the emergence of your third best player. And that's no offense to Trent, who was fantastic, but Coleman Hawkins took that jump. And all of a sudden, we're looking at a team that is deeper than last year, that is every bit as capable of making a deep run in the tournament. But more than that, you're looking at a program that has set itself up for long-term success. And that is not something that I would have been saying six months ago. So this Saturday morning, there's this pervasive sense of, okay, oh my God, we've arrived. I think we've arrived. And and not this fear that, uh uh-oh, the bottom's going to fall off and we're going to be back where we were at the start of the Underwood era or the later parts of the Weber era. No, I think those days might be gone and that is cause for celebration. And I don't know if we need to really be wary about it. Of course, things can happen. Injuries can happen. A couple bad recruiting classes can put you right back in the middle of the Big Ten pack because it is such a good conference. But what we saw last night and the first regular season game without Trent and Corbello and Kofi And Hutcherson, and we'll get to the Hutcherson thing. Um, But what we've seen so far in these four games, apart from maybe the second exhibition game that was just kind of a a snoozer, is a program that is as healthy as can be, that can overcome the absence of a key player. Take Hutcherson, for example. Let's start with him. If he were a player back in the gross era, we would have pinned our hopes and aspirations of a NCAA tournament appearance on whether or not Hutcherson would stay healthy. And honestly, as I look at this team and try to figure out what's the formula for them to have the greatest success, I'm not even taking him into consideration. And what a luxury that is to be able to say, well, this injury-prone player, we don't even need him and we'll probably be good. But if we have him, whoa. Take Kofi, for example. Now, this team needs Kofi, right? 
We saw yesterday, though, and albeit against a pretty bad opponent, not quite as bad as Jackson State, but Arkansas State is likely not going to be making the NCAA tournament this year. But we saw a team that, without Kofi, would have still been top 20 caliber. And that tells you how healthy this program is, the kind of shape that it's in, that it could have withstood losing Io and Kofi and still being a top four Big Ten team. I mean, compare the way Illinois looks right now to Ohio State. You know, they bring EJ, EJ Liddell back, and he's their superstar, but their backcourt struggles, uh, that has been very apparent in these first two games where they've struggled. And they will probably finish fifth or sixth in the Big Ten. Um, I like our chances even without Kofi against an Ohio State team. And you can work your way up the Big Ten ladder. Of course, Michigan is stacked with a few guys coming back and a really top recruiting class. And Purdue is an old veteran team that's going to be right there in the top three as well. But I still think you might have cracked the top three even if Kofi had left. And maybe that sounds ridiculous as I say that, but as I really reflect on it and think about how good this team is now that Coleman Hawkins is emerging the way that he is, I don't think that's crazy to say. And that is where your program is at. So as I said here on this Saturday morning, it's not just the fact that you won 92-53. to That spread got down to about 15, 16 points. Understandably, when there was uncertainty about Trent or Curbelo playing, I thought that Illinois was probably going to win this game by about 15 points, even with those guys. I expected, in a way, kind of an ugly game before Marquette on Monday, and I wouldn't have minded that necessarily because I, I would have thought, well, that's just the kind of ammo that Underwood and the staff would need for a really focused effort on Monday when you're going to need a more focused effort. But instead, you got the absolute best-case scenario, and you got an absolutely dominant performance where everybody contributed. 11 guys scored. 13 guys played. And in the stat sheet, which we'll go over here just after the, the break, it's just pure domination and reasons for optimism, despite the fact that, yes, Arkansas State, not good. But you did what really good teams do to bad teams. And two games into the season without your best player, that is incredibly encouraging. All right, before we get too far ahead of ourselves here, uh, the 200 level is brought to you by DPDO online at dpdo.com. For all the best deals and prices, order online at dpdo.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Now, this weekend, it's miserable outside. You may want to just stay in and watch football and college basketball. It is a, a buffet, a smorgasbord of sports. So why leave the house? Let them bring a custom zone with any topping you want or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone right to your doorstep. That's dpdo.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4th and This will be a basketball-heavy podcast, and they got plenty of great basketball T-shirts. But their newest edition, a Juice Williams T-shirt, you got to check this one out. Kind of has a bobblehead sort of quality to it. But keep in mind, Juice, I think, had the biggest head. This is not hyperbole. The biggest head in Illini football history, like an eight and three quarters size helmet. It's kind of cartoonish, but it's just really high quality stuff, again, from Fourth and Kirby. And no offense to my guy, Corey Bradford. This is right up there with his T-shirt. It's that good. And I love this series that they have going with Illini Greats. So check out the Juice Williams T-shirt at fourthandkirby.com. Also got to give thanks to... State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy as well for life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. Uh, we worked with him for homeowners and auto. 
Super easy, great State Farm prices to boot. We re-upped for a second year with Brian and his staff, and for good reason. Uh, they are terrific, and you should check them out online at brianismyguy.com. And finally, Rector Construction online at R-E-C-T-O-R Construction.com for all your home exterior needs. And these guys, they can work year-round, so don't let the colder temperatures fool you into thinking that you can't get stuff done on the outside of your house. These guys are expert craftsmen, great customer service, and they will get the job done on time and on budget. That's Rector Construction, R-E-C-T-O-R Construction.com. Also got to thank Alani Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners with the 200 level, and you, the listeners. And uh, drop us a rating and review at Apple Podcasts. It helps us out. It helps a lot of people discover this Alani podcast. And boy, oh boy, are there many Alani podcasts out there. It is just swimming with content. So thank you for choosing us and, and having us be a part of your podcast rotation. Let's go over the box score real quick here. 92 to 53, complete and utter domination from Illinois. Field goal percentage, Illinois 32 for 70 for 45%. Defensively, as fun as the offense was last night, defensively is where I really think Illinois shined. 18 of 59 for Arkansas State. That's 30% shooting. Not a bad shooting team, at least relative to Jackson State, right? And that was shown in the three-point percentage. Three for 16 for Arkansas State. That's less than 20%. Now, Illinois, five for 25 from three-point range. I think they will, on the whole, do better than that. And that's a scary proposition, that you were able to shoot uh, right that you were able to score 92 points despite the fact that you were not effective from three-point range you don't need it uh, but you got it and I think in certain games that will be what gets you over the top especially against tougher competition Uh, you know we're going to see not regression but we're going to see the likes of a Coleman Hawkins maybe have to work a bit more for those two-point baskets He's continuing to make threes. Good to see Trent get one last night, or was it one or two for Trent? Uh, Plummer, I think, got a couple as well. Two for Trent, one. Oh, no, Hawkins didn't make one last night, but one for Grandison, and we're going to get to him in a bit. And then Plummer off the bench, two for seven. Though I got to say his stroke tells me that there's going to be plenty of games where it's five of seven instead of two for seven. He's going to keep shooting, and he will make it. I'm not worried about him like I was, let's say, Aaron Cosby in 2014. Okay, elsewhere in the stat sheet, we have assist 14 for Illinois on 32 made field goals. That number, a little bit surprising. There were a lot of assists that Curbelo should have had that were missed shots for Illinois. So let's say that could have been 17 or 18. Uh, Regardless, that number surprised me as I looked at that this morning. It felt like there were more. Rebounds, 56 to 32 in Illinois' advantage. 24 offensive rebounds for Illinois to 10 for Arkansas State. This is like Tom Izzo, Michigan State numbers, where at their peak, Michigan State would just kill you on the boards. Five steals for Illinois, four for Arkansas State. Five blocks for Illinois, two for Arkansas State. But this number, the most encouraging of all. 13 turnovers for Illinois, which when you consider the speed with which they play, I'm not really concerned about that. 19 turnovers for Arkansas State. Back to the idea that really the star of the night or the unit that was most impressive last night was the defense. And that's after you scored 92 points. It's the 53 that Arkansas State scored that has me most excited. That you have all these, if not new pieces, guys that are playing a lot more minutes than before, and you're able to maintain that defensive intensity. And if you go back to last year, you know, I would argue that this is a more impressive two-game start than last year's three-game start, when you had three games in three days at home for that tournament thing. 
and I know it was a weird year, and it's apples and oranges comparison, but the one thing with last year's opening three-game stretch, and that included the close call against Jason Preston in Ohio, which doesn't look so bad. I mean, Preston's in the NBA right now. Uh, But I do not recall that kind of intensity or prolonged intensity on the defensive end. And as fun as those games were, and, you know, Adam Miller scoring 30 points or whatever in that first game, and we're thinking, oh, my God. Yeah, there were similarities to last year. But let's start with that. What is the difference? Why am I higher after two games with this team than I was after two games or three games with last year's team? I think part of it actually has to do with the pandemic. And what I mean by that is last year, there was this constant sense of, are we actually going to get this season, see it through to its complete completion? And we did, albeit not a very satisfying end for Illinois basketball. There's not really that concern this year. There might be a positive COVID test here or there for this team, but the idea of COVID derailing things doesn't seem to be at the top of my mind or really realistic if you think about it. So that's good news. That's that's to start. Also, I think that what has me the most encouraged is the fact that this team, um, there are pieces that I was not counting on that are outplaying expectations. Last year, it was really, okay, you got Io, you got Kofi, you got some older guards and Trenton DeMonte. Grandison was not a factor early, or I should say not a huge factor early. That really kind of came in during December and into January. And then Adam Miller had the great opening game, but after that, he kind of settled into eight points a game, solid defense. He's going to be much better as a sophomore, right? We kind of changed our expectations for him not that long into the season. That's a primary difference with this team. Coleman Hawkins is a find. Last year, he got some minutes as an energy guy off the bench, but you couldn't really count on him offensively. Uh, He looked lost even late in the year. It's not as if we saw Coleman Hawkins, and in March he was a significantly better or more impactful player than he was back in December. Well, here we are two games into this season, and you can count the two exhibition games. This is not a fluke. This is a guy that's figured it out, and sometimes that switch turns on for players. You know, when I was kind of scouring the message boards, someone on Illinois Loyalty mentioned Brian Cook and the light kind of flipping on. Now, Brian Cook was, I think, a high school All-American, McDonald's All-American maybe, and he still averaged, I think, seven or eight points a game his freshman year. He was an impact player, and then all of a sudden he became a star his sophomore, junior, and senior years. And I mean, his senior year is still one of the best single seasons I've seen as an Illini fan. But this kind of jump from Coleman Hawkins. I can't think of a jump like this where all of a sudden this guy that coming into this season, I thought he will be a nice piece off the bench, kind of a wild card. He's not a wild card anymore. All of a sudden it's like a free agent acquisition where you got a star and you just add him to the mix of a bunch of other stars that you already had. So an embarrassment of riches, that is one primary difference between this year and last year. There were more known quantities on last year's team, and Adam Miller still had a good freshman year. Jacob Grandison um, was the one of the transfers between him and Hutcherson that was an impact player and did a lot for you. Um, But yeah, for the most part, that that team going into last year, you kind of knew what they would be. And you just figured they're going to take the next logical step from the year before when they would have been probably a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament. But this is different. This is just like a a brand new team, it feels like, just by virtue of Coleman Hawkins being at this level. And while we're talking about guys that made a jump, what about Grandison? 
Jacob Grandison last night, and this is what I love about this guy. A quiet 15 points. Five for nine from the field. One for three from three. Four for four from the line. Thank God, because free throw shooting, unfortunately, may be a bugaboo for this team. I mean, hell, Coleman Hawkins, seven for 13, even though I think he's got a decent stroke from, from the free throw line, so that's puzzling. Six rebounds for Grandison, one assist, a couple turnovers, but you know he's so active out there, that, that doesn't concern me. Jacob Grandison is a legit Big Ten starter. I mean, he was last year, of course. He went on that great run with them, but now we're looking at a guy that can average double digits. I don't think that's crazy. If he doesn't, it's going to be because you have so many other guys that can score in that starting lineup. So here's your starting five, and let's let's say we have this starting five versus last year's starting five, okay? This year's starting five is going to be Andre Corbello, Trent Frazier, Jacob Grandison, Coleman Hawkins, Kofi Coburn. Last year, if we stay consistent with what it was, even late in the season, Trent Frazier, Iota Sumu, Devontae Williams, Jacob Grandison, Kofi Coburn. Because I think Corbello was still coming off the bench late. I know who I'm picking. I know who I'm picking in the starting five, and that that is factoring in that Io was an absolute killer, right? I, I, w- I would not sell last year's team short, and I don't want this to turn into me denigrating last year's team because they were terrific. But this team is longer, they're bigger, they're more versatile, the depth is off the charts. I mean, I'm talking about the starting five, not even taking into consideration that last year's team, you had Georgie and Curbelo coming off the bench... I don't know. Um, what else were you really counting on? And this year? Again, two games into the season, and some guys will probably have slumps and whatnot. But this is different. So <laughs> it's almost like a, a tricky spot for Underwood and the staff to figure out who to play and when. But you do know that the starting five is terrific. And I love the size. I I, I love the fact that whether it's Granderson, Grandison, excuse me, or Hawkins at the three, you're talking a six foot seven guy. The shortest three that you would have in the starting lineup is six seven. But you look at the athleticism too. I mean, Grandison has a, a pep in his step that I don't remember last year, which might be kind of silly of me to say because Grandison was still getting dunks last year. He had moments where that athleticism would shine. But you know, I think that he was the sort of Swiss Army knife um, role player. It felt like but a very good one at that. And this year, he's more than that. Actually, if I recall, I I think that he would potentially have another year of eligibility. Think about that. I mean, if you just tell me going into next year, and not to put the cart before the horse, if you were to tell me that next year, I could be assured of having Curbelo, Hawkins, and Grandison, I mean, I'll take my chances. Because it just seems like this program is beginning to build class after class, and, and that depth is going to be there, and you'll figure out the rest of it. But those three guys, and then Trent Frazier, who made such a difference last night. We've gotten 20 minutes in this podcast without talking about Trent Frazier. Defensively, off the charts. Put him on the best guard in the other team, and have fun, whoever that may be, because Trent is still an absolute dog on defense. Kind of look cool with that shoulder wrap. Looks big, muscular, kind of like a superhero thing going on. Still had the stroke because that is his non-shooting shoulder, so it looks like that will not be a concern. Did not look to have lost a step. Oh, and Andre Curbelo. We got 20 minutes in this podcast without talking about Andre Curbelo, who in the first minute or two of the game had two absolute dimes, 
and I think just played within himself last night. He didn't try to do too much. There was, of course, the extracurriculars with Arkansas State coach, who was, by the way, insane, clearly a deranged individual to be getting into a pissing match with a student section or to uh, be saying the things that he and his bench were saying to Andre Curbelo. Let's hit that real quick uh, while, while we're here, because I, I'm going to be heaping praise on Andre Curbelo all year. I'm, I'm sure of it. You know how good he is, so saying that is somewhat redundant at this point. Okay, last night, the, when this all went down, I'm just listening to the game and following along. So this morning, I was able to go back and watch um, YouTube. There's these cool highlight videos that people compile. So I was able to go back and watch it. But last night, as I'm following along, without the proper context of why Crabello picked up a technical, and then Underwood, I thought, oh my God. You know, my initial reaction is, don't get into these silly back and forths with Arkansas State. Because as you remember last year, and when we would do those live podcasts, which were home and away games, when DeMonte, for example, would get into someone's face, hey, that's all fun and games when it's Fran McCaffrey's kid for Iowa, or whichever one of those annoying white guys it was on Iowa. Their names and faces all blend together. But when DeMonte was doing that against Iowa, that's fun. Yeah, it gets the blood boiling. But when you're doing a game after game, and then especially, if you recall, the end of the Wisconsin game at the Kohl Center, it was something that, was it Alondo Tucker, assistant for Wisconsin, former player for them, said something to DeMonte. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but in this crucial stretch of the game, if DeMonte would have gotten teed up, then you're giving Wisconsin a couple points. That was during the crazy comeback where Trice couldn't miss a damn shot. And I'm thinking, don't lose a game because you were jawing at the opposing team. That w- I would hate that. Now, I want the edge. And I tweeted this last night. I, I like the fact that this team and this program has an edge because for too many years, they didn't. The latter half of the Weber era and then the entire John Gross era, we were kind of like a little harmless puppy dog. You know, we, we weren't terrible. We had our moments, but we weren't instilling fear and we weren't getting in anyone's head. We were just kind of there. And I don't want to be just there. I want this program to be some, a force to be reckoned with for lack of a better cliche. I want them to be a team that opponents are not looking forward to playing. And part of that is being the team that has the edge. Part of that is becoming the team that other teams hate. And yet, I was annoyed when I saw that Curbelo got that. Well, come to find out, they're talking about his mom, and they're saying insults to him in Spanish. And I will take Andre's word on this. (laughs) And, And Underwood, too, the fact that he got a technical, and he said he was backing up his guy. I am more than happy for them to take these technicals early for Underwood to show his guys, I got your back. I'll get a technical. And keep in mind, after that, I think they won on an 18-2 to run. Now, sometimes I think it's overrated when they say, ah, the technical will get the team fired up. Well, something worked last night because at that point in the game, it got within, I think, six points after uh, Arkansas State shot their free throws. I think they made all four technical free throws. And then you go on this crazy run to put the game away at halftime. Love it. You awoke the sleeping beast, Arkansas State. And this coach, by the way, I mean, <laughs> I want to make sure I get this right because this is absolutely ridiculous. We're, we're texting last night, uh, me, Trevor, and Isaac. And Trevor found this tweet, uh, Arkansas State from uh, Christian on Twitter. J- uh, Christian Jones, excuse me. And Christian writes for the Daily Illini. Arkansas State head coach Mike Bellotto is seen throwing something on the court. An assistant picked it up. 
Student section tells him to throw it to us. Uh, Bilotto responds, I will, I'll throw it at your blanking face. And that word starts with F, by the way. And at that point, Illinois was up 92 to 53. <laughs> uh, let's see, earlier, um, yeah, this is from Jeremy. This was during the press press conference. Crabello said that the Arkansas State Bench was speaking Spanish to him, swearing at him, and saying things about his mother. <sighs> now, later on, I think the Arkansas State coach got teed up. But what a mess. That's why we call this Arkansas. This game got a little bit heated, and I'm thinking, Arkansas State, get the hell out of here. And that's why I, lo- I love beating them in the way that you did. You spanked a team that you should spank, and, and you put them in their place. And I-, I understand if you're in the role of an Arkansas State, you need to find whatever edge of your own. Just like Illinois finds an edge, apparently, from opponents talking trash. How did they harness that in a healthy way? I'm not going to say that what Illinois did last night was unhealthy. You know, what Arkansas State did was out of line. But going forward, do we need to respond to every single perceived or real slight? I don't know if you do. You're Illinois. You're a top 10 team. And by the way, you're going to be a top 5 team in not that long. People are going to see what this team is. So when you are playing as that favorite, do we still need to get our edge from what the opponent is saying or, or, or anything like that? Do we need to get our edge from from talking trash, at least to the extent that refs might hear it and tee you up for it? I don't know. Listen, if this team can succeed while doing that, I'm all for it. I, I don't, my, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's anything to do with morals or ethics. I don't care what they say to the opposing team. I just don't want them to get teed up for it. <laughs> like, I have no moral quandary with any Illinois player saying whatever the hell they want to to opposing teams. Just don't get caught doing it or don't get teed up doing it don't let that be something at the end of a heated game against an Iowa or a Michigan I mean there's gonna be technical fouls in that Michigan game we I would lay so much money on that right now over under 1.5 technical fouls when Michigan comes to town January 14th over and I, I expect it to come from both sides but just keep your head about you, right? Keep your head about you and just kick the other team's ass because this team will be able to do that, I think, fairly consistently this year. All right, trying to think if there's any other things from last night's game that I wanted to hit on. I mean, I'm I'm buzzing. Watching the highlights this morning and, and putting visuals to what I heard and, and was following along with last night, while I wasn't at the game last night because we had some plans, um, you know, hearing from Trevor and Isaac how into it the crowd was. That's great, right? I mean, Illini fans are hungry anyways because it's been a year plus since we'd been in that stadium, but there was some extra juice, it sounds like, going around State Farm Center last night. So imagine that when Arizona comes to town. You know, if you go to StubHub right now, getting tickets for that Arizona game, you're going to have to pay up. I mean, that's one more sign Illinois basketball is back. I do recall in a pre-StubHub era, how expensive tickets were during the Bill Self and the early Bruce Weber era. I mean, hundreds of dollars for Big Ten games, um, even not against the likes of a Michigan State or a Wisconsin. So the fans are back. That energy is back. That stadium, by the way, the game day experience, something I don't know if I mentioned on the last podcast. What they're doing is like what you get at NBA games. They're playing music during the little breaks. So there's a foul on the court, and then before the team inbounds it, the DJ is spinning music and it's such an NBA thing. And I'm thinking for the recruits that come into town and they see this game day experience and they're like, wow, this is kind of like, uh, 
when I'm watching an NBA game. I mean, it's just one extra step. The stadium looks great. The starting lineups, I mean, good Lord, the, the video introduction that they got for this year, I got chills. And I, I'm not often prone to that. As good as the video department is, I, I, I sometimes kind of chuckle at the the tropes that you see in starting lineup videos and all that. But oh my God, <laughs> I was ready to run through a brick wall. They got this fire motif and it ends with Kofi taking this big sledgehammer and hitting on the ground and you know a little bit of pyro and all that. I mean, oh man, uh, it, it does it. You know, it's, it's, it's entertainment. This team's entertaining. I mean, if not for, if no other word, this team is entertaining as hell. This is not a boring brand of basketball. And in trying to sell your program and really build the classes for when Kofi's gone. And, you know, make Curbelo. Is Curbelo going to be a four-year player? I don't know. You know, depending on how this year goes, he might test the waters even after this year. But you are going to have to build some more stars coming up. But it's a hell of an easy sell when you got this sort of game day experience at the State Farm Center. So it had to have been fun there last night. Uh, other than that one and the UT Rio Grande Valley, or Rio Grande Valley, which that's Thanksgiving week, that Friday, and we're going to be up in Michigan for that, but there's not going to be another game I'll miss. And it is back to being appointment viewing and also appointment attendance for those that got tickets. So that's cool. Um, Sounds like it was a pretty good crowd, maybe 75, 80% full. But yeah, I'm just buzzing because it feels like last year, what kept us from buzzing quite to this extent, at least early on, I mean, the first two months of last year, we were happy to have basketball back, but we couldn't go see them. And there were some stinkers laid throughout the first two months of the year. So really, that was not a full year's worth of crazy excitement. It was really concentrated to that six-week stretch where everything came together, and we thought, ah, this team, they're finally playing at their peak. But it it took a little bit of time to get there. Well, give me a season where they're just coming out guns blazing, and that appears to be what we're looking at right now. If you listen to this podcast from top to bottom, you're probably thinking, good Lord, Carp is predicting like national title, right? And you know I did that last year. And, And I don't sit here and guarantee, and I wouldn't say, hey, go out to the whatever betting site you use, and put money down on Illinois to win a national title. But even Andre Curbelo mentioned that last night. So whatever conversations are going on at the oven or in the locker room, this team has aspirations beyond just a Big Ten championship. And if they play focused basketball all year, I have no question that they will win the Big Ten, that they will get a one seed. And then you get to the tournament, and you just put yourself in the best position possible by getting a one seed to make it to the final four. And maybe there will be a buzzsaw of an eight seed or a four seed, and it ends early again. That That is a possibility, and sure, that's scary. But I do think that this team can, at least they've shown the ability early on, that they are different from last year's team. And again, I'm not going to sit here and denigrate last year's team, one of the best Illini teams I've ever seen. I just really think that this team is better. And I decided to put a very scientific poll up on Twitter. Very scientific, you know, we demographics and all that. We did our research here at the 200 level. I just asked this question. I called it ridiculously early poll. Is this Illini basketball team better than last year's squad? Now, through the first 10 hours or so, 321 votes, 73% say yes, they are better. Kevin says, still too early for that question. Got to make free throws. I want to see what happens when things go south. And that's true. What happens when this team faces adversity? 
credit to last year's team, there were not too many prolonged stretches. I don't know if they lost two games in a row last year. If they did, it was the Ohio State and Maryland games at home. That would have been the low point. But for the most part, they responded well after losses. Uh, Elohim, I think. Uh, better depth, equal or better overall talent. Question will just be if they maintain good chemistry and everyone finds and accepts their roles. To be determined until we see them tested or look really good against a good team. And that's fair because last year's Illinois team played really damn good against really good teams, especially late. So this team, it's two games in, two scrub teams. Marquette provides a bit more of a challenge. Uh, it'll really be the week against Cincinnati and presumably Arkansas and then Notre Dame and then Arizona. And that's a nice mix of good teams, probably not to the level of a Michigan for sure or a Purdue or some other better Big Ten teams. But I really like the way the schedule is gradually starting to incorporate other Power Five teams and and upping the challenge bit by bit. Randall says the jury's still out. Drew says yes, 100%. And then Dan says not yet, but could get there, question mark. Um, so I understand anyone that's saying, hey, hold on, hold on. Calm down. Don't freak out. But back to what I said at the start of this podcast, you have essentially a free agent acquisition in Coleman Hawkins. That's the way I view it. This, this is not anything any of us could have predicted. I think if anything, we might have expected a jump where he was a guy that could get you six points and four boards a game, right? A a really good bench player that's got size, can be a defensive stopper because of his length and athleticism. And instead, now you have a probable star. Not possible, probable. He's doing things out there that he is probably the best pro prospect on this team, if you think about it. If that shot continues to develop and if he can become consistent from three, that's an NBA player. Kofi, we have questions because he's more of a banger, right? And does that work in the NBA? I think Kofi will find a role. I think he will get drafted and then find a spot and just kind of maybe be a journeyman in the NBA, but he's too physically talented to not find his way to that league. And Andre Curbelo, of course, that guy has a knack for basketball. But if you're talking about the guy that I think most scouts would be salivating over, it's the six foot 10 dude that can run the court, handle the ball, play defense, shoot the three. And also, the passes that he makes, the vision that he has, like a point guard. I don't know if he's going to end up becoming Kevin Durant, <laughs> but I mean, he's he can do a little bit of everything. And when you're 6'10", that's ridiculous. You can't, you can't guard that. Who's going to guard him on opposing teams? I'm sorry, but if, you're, if you are Jawan Howard... Or in that case, Phil Martelli, because I'm not really sure how much Juwan even coaches. Not no slight Juwan, but you know, Michigan can kiss my ass. I cannot wait to play them. I cannot wait, especially that you get them at home first. Oh my god, <laughs> I already got that date on the calendar circled. Whatever coach you are in the Big Ten, as you are going through tape of this Illinois team, you know what Kofi is. You know what Curbelo is. They're fantastic, and I still think on the whole better than Coleman Hawkins, but. Uh, there is something about Coleman's game that I think is damn near impossible to plan for. Opposing coaches will find areas of weakness. They will find ways to keep him from going for 17 and 12 every night like he did last night. And I want to make sure I get this right because this is a stat line you don't see much. 17 points, 12 rebounds, 4 assists, could have been more by the way. 3 turnovers, which again, how active he is, I'll take it. And 4 blocks. He's everywhere. Last thing before we get out of here, the five position. After Kofi, we assumed Omar Payne, that's your backup, right? 
I think I was going into this season thinking, as much as I love Georgie, I think that you might actually be better with Omar Payne because there will be a very distinct role he plays. That offensively, he'll get some garbage buckets just because of his size, but that he can be a defensive stopper. Well, I don't know. Omar Payne, it's one game, but really, if you look at so far the exhibition and the two regular season games, he is not impressed. Five points last night, five fouls in, I think, four minutes, maybe six minutes. And uh, one rebound. I he I don't want to say he looks lost. I think that's a bit much. But he does not look super comfortable out there. That could change, and maybe the light flips on for him. But as we saw last year at Florida, you know, you got him, and he thought we got a big guy, cool. But I don't think any of us anticipated him being really a, a worthy um, candidate to be the next Kofi. But when Kofi came back, we're just merely asking Omar Payne to be a good backup, especially defensively. I don't know if he can count on that. I'm a little concerned about him. Uh, BBV with eight points and 10 boards. I think he's going to take the minutes from Omar Payne as the season goes along. And part of that might just be that he's been in the system longer. Now, uh, though there is an issue for personal fouls for BBV. And against Arkansas State, if you're piling up fouls that quick, that's not good for when you play teams that have better post players. So let's talk about the five position real quick. Those guys will get some minutes, but I do think that you will tend to have more rotations out there where instead of BBV or Omar Payne as your five, you'll just have Coleman Hawkins play the five. I, I think I would rather this team go quote unquote small, and I say that with air quotes, because Coleman Hawkins is 6'10", and with his arm span, probably more like a seven footer sometimes, and that Jacob Grandison can play the four. If Hutcherson is healthy, he can play the three. A lineup like that is plenty big. And that's the thing. Basically, every lineup that you could dream up for this team is bigger than last year's team. This is not to mention Luke Goody, by the way. Have not addressed him yet. Four points, five boards. He's the freshman that will play. Melendez got uh, some tick last night. A couple dunks, right? Six points and a rebound in some late-game action. Podzimski was in late. Um, it, It appears that he might be the odd man out. I mean, you can only play so many guys. And you got enough ball handlers when Trent and Corbello are healthy where you don't need Podzimski. Uh, DeMonte, let's see, five points, five boards. You know, solid again. Not hitting his threes right now. Hopefully that goes up. I mean, I remember thinking last year, all year, that this was kind of a mirage, that he's not that good of a three-point shooter. But while he may not be a 50% three-point shooter, I still think he's probably like 35%. He's just not really hitting them right now. But yeah, Luke Goody is your freshman. That's going to get the tick. And he's sneaky big. When I was at the State Farm Center Tuesday night, I remember thinking, this guy's easily 6'6". Might even be 6'7". And he can guard opposing threes. And as he gets better defensively, and already he seems to have a pretty good awareness of what's going on the court. I also love the fact that Luke Goody is the sort of guy, and I'm sure I've said this before. This, you can probably already predict what I'm going to say. That he is the kind of guy that would have driven us nuts on Wisconsin or Indiana or Iowa, and we got him. He's our guy that's going to pester the opposing teams. He's our guy that's going to feel to opposing teams like he's been in this program for six years. That's that's Luke Goody for us. So we finally got one, and uh, I am really looking forward to all the times that he'll be pissing off opponents' fans. That's going to be fun. But yeah, here we are, 2-0. We got a game Monday night, and we will have our first live podcast Second half reaction from the basement studio. It's all decked out. It's ready to go. Excited to have Trevor and Isaac over. And we'll do this for away games. 
We're going to get back to it. So we are going to have a lot of fun Monday night, as long as they win, of course. I think they will. Marquette last night, let me check this to be sure, but I think Trevor said that Marquette beat New Hampshire by three. Now, I'm not going to freak out too much about that, but Marquette, oh, five, excuse me. So Marquette so far, SIU Edwardsville beat them 88-77. to They beat New Hampshire 75-70. to Marquette, I think, is in the 80s in Ken Palm. This is Shaka Smart's first year. I think he's going to find a really good niche up there, but just hopefully not yet. Um, I think Illinois wins Monday. I think they win somewhat comfortably. There's going to be plenty of Illini fans up there, too. It's in Milwaukee, so Chicago Illini fans take the quick hour-and-a-half trip up there. And I don't know about half and half, but I would say a good 30% will probably be Illini fans. I don't know how avid Marquette fans are right now, if they're maybe in a wait-and-see approach with Shaka being in his first year. But this is a nice way that the schedule is really shaking out. I think that you're gradually just playing better and better teams. Marquette is better than the first two teams. Cincinnati's better than Marquette. And then Arkansas, if you play them, is certainly better than all the teams that you've played thus far. And the way that I view this is not all dissimilar from back in 04-05, where you knew that team was good, and then they gradually played better and better teams, and then they played Gonzaga. And you absolutely slaughtered them. So imagine a situation where the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, you are 4-0, you play Arkansas, a very good Arkansas team, and you smoke them. For some reason, I'm kind of circling that possible matchup as, oh boy, we're really, really good. And then you get UT Rio Grande, Grande Valley, if I'm saying, Grande or Grand, who cares, on Friday, November 26th, and then Notre Dame, Big Ten ACC Challenge on Monday the 29th, and then Rutgers at home on Friday, December 3rd. And then Arizona at home on December 11th. And then, oh, at Iowa, sandwiched in between that. This schedule is going to ramp up quick. And uh, before you know it, it's going to be bragging rights. And, oh boy, it's time for revenge. And I think that this team, oh, finally, what, if you want to say makeup or chemistry, whatever, I really just think it comes down to playing style. I think that this team can be the aggressor from the get-go. We've seen it two games so far, even the first game without Curbelo and Trent. And now that they're back, we saw they played relentless basketball last night, apart from maybe a four or five-minute stretch when it got a little bit tight. Six-point game. They came out guns blazing, and that's something I think they can maintain. I really do. I think they, the, the personalities on this team, and now that it's year five under Underwood and the culture is firmly established, I don't think there's going to be a ton of growing pains or adjustments that you're going to have to see. I could be proven wrong about this. And this could be just me being a true fanboy carp. But this team is special. And strap in. It's going to be a fun year. It's already been a fun few games. And I only expect it to get better. Oh, yeah. And your best player hasn't even stepped on the court yet for a regular season game. So there's that. All right, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. I'm on at dpdoe.com on this frigid November weekend. Stay home and let them bring a piping hot calzone to your doorstep as you watch college football, college basketball. The Bears mercifully have a bye week, so you can watch, you know, I don't want to say good NFL football. The Bears looked okay against the Steelers, right? Justin Fields certainly did. Uh, but hey, whatever you're watching this weekend, don't bother with this weather. Let them bring it to your doorstep online at dpdoe. Com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com with the new Juice Williams t shirt. You got to check this out online at fourthandkirby.com. State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy too at brianismyguy.com. 
And finally, Rector Construction, R-E-C-T-O-R Construction.com. For all your home exterior needs, that's RectorConstruction.com. For Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, thanks for tuning in on this Saturday morning. No Alani football until next week, and we will be back Monday evening, second half live reaction podcast. Myself, Trevor Belise, Isaac Ambrose. It is the 200 level. Please.